Hello, and welcome to IRI Growth Insights, featuring IRI thought leaders, industry partners, and guests. For more than 40 years, IRI has been known for its invaluable data, but these podcasts delve into the insights the data reveal to fuel market disruption and market growth for those in the CPG, retail, healthcare, and media markets. I'm your host, Joan Driggs, coming to you from IRI's corporate headquarters in Chicago. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Growth Insights Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about the natural shopper in a down economy. I'm joined by Catherine Peters, Executive Vice President with SPINS, a fantastic partner to IRI, tracking the natural channel. Um, Catherine is responsible for strategic initiatives at SPINS. And the beauty of today is that Catherine has been working in the natural channel both through the last Great Recession and now. And she is here to tell us about how we can weather these crises um, and come out all the stronger for it. Also here today is my colleague, Steve Ramsey, um, Senior Executive and Practice Leader here at IRI. Steve is focused on manufacturing clients operating in the fresh perimeter, including dairy, bakery, and protein spaces. Um, but he is one of the healthiest people here at IRI, so he's bringing his passion for the natural channel to the conversation today. So welcome to you both. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you. Great to be here, John. Catherine, um, let's start with you. So you and Steve hosted a webinar about a week or so ago, Supporting the Natural Consumer. Um, which is available at iriworldwide.com. And you also wrote a blog post um, that's also posted on our website. But you reference lessons learned from the last recession. Can you talk us through the correlation? Sure. It's really about economic disruption. Uh, you know, a little over a decade ago, the financial crisis you know, it, that began in 2007 was really what kicked off the domino effect paving the way for the Great Recession. You know, it certainly disrupted economies around the world then also, and it certainly left manufacturers and retailers really, you know, wondering what the future would hold and if they could weather it. And a lot of similarities to today as businesses are wondering how to, to really navigate this great lockdown, which doesn't show any signs of, of easing soon, you know, with reduced movement and activities around our cities, modified business practices, minimal travel, social physical distancing, I could go on and on, shakes up nearly every industry we're really going to see these long-term effects for years and many things probably will never return to as they were before. So to, to really help navigate this path ahead, while, while there's differences, we can look to the Great Recession to see how parts of our industry not only survived, but really grew in that challenging period, including the natural products industry. You know, one major difference you know, between the Great Recession and this Great Lockdown, again, as we'll call it, is our heightened focus on health and wellness in today's environment. What we're experiencing now is directly related to a health crisis, which is definitely different than the last recession. And that means food and wellness are fundamental to the situation and not incidental. Customers are increasingly recognizing that strengthening their body and their immunity is really the first line of defense for a novel virus. And that makes all the difference. And I'd like to add to that, um, you know, I think while there are definitely lessons, you know, from the last recession, um, and as Catherine pointed out, you know, one of those key differences is, is clearly this um, much greater focus on, on health and wellness, um, you know, through this downturn. Uh, but I think there are also a couple of other important differences. Uh, in 2007 and 8, 
I mean, the Fed was was you know really propping up our banking system and uh, went after a number of major corporations. Um, we had a spike in in unemployment hit a high of ten point six percent in January of twenty ten. Uh, but then there was a very slow and, and and it was a gradual but very steady decline. But it took about five years to get under five percent unemployment. Um, you know, in this crisis, the government we've never seen um, the economic stimulus as it's gone out currently. I mean, we're we're seeing the government support the bond market in ways that we've never seen before. Um, there's been a commitment to extended low interest rates indefin- you know, for an indefinite period of time. Um, and, and we had to. I mean, we had such a, a spike in unemployment um, that has since recovered. You know, by June, it was around 11% um, you know, from a high of almost 15% in April. So, I mean, the government just unleashed everything that they had to try to you know, ease the impact of that. Um, you know, we've shown some signs that we think we're going to have a much sharper recovery, and, and we're certainly hoping for that. But, you know, the, the hope is for a V-shaped recovery. But, but that said, if we can't keep the infection rates low, um, you know, and, and by, all, by all accounts now, you know, we're back in in most states, you know, increasing infection rates. And, and it's really, in effect, jeopardized the rate of recovery. So where we're headed... <laughs> You know, and how 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 much of this recession we start to feel is really in question now. But but we've never seen stimulus like uh, uh, in, in support for unemployment like right now. Right. Well, you know, so I want to I want to kind of bridge those two things because Catherine, you were saying, you know, this whole recession really was brought on by a health crisis, but it was during the last recession and with the Affordable Care Act, which I think was early 2010. You know. 20 million Americans had access to health care for the first time. And so a lot of underlying issues or conditions were diagnosed that people were wanting to manage on their own. You know, people didn't, weren't anxious to get out to the doctor. And I think even now people for both financial and for social distancing purposes don't want to visit a doctor. Telemedicine hasn't really exploded, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think. So people are vested in taking care of themselves now and then. But it seems, like you said, we're in a health crisis. It's even more exaggerated. That's not quite the right word, but it's a lot more magnified now. Would you agree? Without a doubt. Um, To build on a foundation, kind of to your reference, thinking of the Great Recession first, if you use self-care, not only to your point, avoiding doctor's visits, but also eating healthier and, and cleaner and natural wellness as an indicator, um, you know, during that window, again, those products led overall store growth. We really saw that people's lifestyle choices were transcending their economic pressures. They were quicker. Again, remember, this was an economic challenge, less, not the health crisis at the time. Um, but people would be more likely to give up eating in a restaurant or going to see a movie than potentially you know, their, their supplement regimen um, or, you know, eating natural and organic products. Um, at the time, you know, a lot of people, I think, coming into the Great Recession is that it was, it was deepening. People thought it was a fad that was going to wane, but instead it definitely continued solid growth. And I think you hit on, you know, some key points too. Um, it was just kind of starting to come into the Affordable Care Act. People were trying to avoid doctors. People were unemployed. And so whether it was how to handle something that had been diagnosed or whether it was preventing care, preventing needing 
that doctoral care, we really saw people turning to self-care. And in fact, um, you know, at the time, vitamins and supplements were the top performing category um, across sort of natural wellness, which was really interesting. Um, so, you know, today's economic though environment, as we said, related to a health crisis, I think we're going to see it even more. I mean, we would be even more bullish, of course, to expect this to continue to grow since health is one of the best defenses against the pandemic. So shoppers aren't going to turn their backs on nutritious and healthy options when there's a, you know, boy, there's a, such a wider variety than there were, you know, 10 years ago. Um, interestingly, Steve and I have been doing a lot of work looking at what happened during the, the stock up and, and post stock up in the early stages of the pandemic. And certainly, you know, at the very beginning, March sales of vitamin C and elderberry hit huge peaks, you know, 43 million and, and almost 50 million respectively. And in the months since, these items have continued to stay strong as people keep focusing on boosting their immune systems and really looking at functional ingredients in food as medicine. And not only that, honestly, turning to natural remedies to help them manage stress or sleep better or things like that as well. So it goes far beyond just immunity and really looking at deeper health and self-care and, and trying not to turn to prescription probably as in many cases. Um, so I think, you know, as we go forward, looking at, you know, again, functional ingredients, enhanced beverages, plant-based options, wow, have really exploded um, onto the scene in the last couple of years and have been further boosted with new consumers and, and, and um, high levels of sales. This really adds a lot of um, benefit as well as just widening the variety and, 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 and options for self-care. So we really think, uh, you know, shoppers are going to double down on healthier options and it's not showing any signs of slowdown. I'm really glad that you were talking about how the, the category has expanded um, because I think that that is really an interesting transition to seeing how people are living healthier. And Steve, I think you can, you can kind of talk about that. Yeah. Well, I, uh, first of all, I, I totally agree. I mean, natural products has an incredibly uh, bright outlook. Um, you know, we're seeing, um, you know, consumers are really understanding much better that linkage between pers their personal health and what products are consumed. Um, and we've seen also, if we if we look at uh, household penetration, we're seeing um, you know gains across all segments uh, of of shoppers uh, in terms of um, you know their purchases and, and participation in categories across the store. So um, you know this is a wonderful time for natural products um, to be taking advantage, and and I like to turn that a little bit as one of the reasons that outlook is, is so great is that food service, you know, the restaurants and um, you know, the, the lack of sporting activities and events um, that consumers are able to partake in means that, you know, that's going to be under stress for a long time and recovery, I, you know, it's, it's going to be likely years before that recovers. So much more of the food dollar is being spent at home. And with people much more committed to their healthy eating routines, um, there are, you know, opportunities that are going way beyond, you know, vitamin supplements and, and, and really finding their way into, you know, every part of the store, including non-edibles. Uh, non um, so we are just seeing, um, you know, increasing percentages of households looking towards functional ingredients, looking towards, um, you know, new types of enhanced uh, beverages as well as plant-based options 
um, you know, in, in, in a much different routines than their, you know, standard go-to items previously. So we bet, um, you know, we think it's fair for manufacturers and retailers to really double down um, on, on this opportunity. Uh, we don't see any, any um, reduction coming anytime soon. And what we do believe is that um, while we've seen this huge influx of baking and at-home meal preparation during the pandemic, um, and, and while that will continue at elevated levels, we do anticipate that many households are tiring of that new routine. And we've started to see that prepared meals, um, you know, are starting to pop up as alternatives from those cook to scratch, you know, cook from scratch routines. So as a result, we've started to see volume growth and things like frozen and refrigerated prepared meals. And I think that's just an, a natural outcome as this pandemic, you know, stretches, you know, beyond five months. Um, we're going to see more and more convenience become an important factor for households. Yeah, you're right. With uh, just the sheer number of meals in the household and weariness, you're right. It becomes a variety of different meal occasions. And, you know, add to that, I think, you know, as, as, as you said, Steve, there's there's a lot of functional ingredients, et cetera. And we're really seeing a, a push for nutrient density. I mean, not just plant-based, but protein sources in general are just so in demand as, you know, there's so much economic pressure that you're know, looking for ways to make sure to have you know, good, good nutrition and added protein, et cetera, seems, seems to be a big focus. And, you know, as we, as we think again about the financial considerations, um, there's really a, a need for affordable options. Uh, you know, in 2008, this, this kind of combination of factors, we, one of the key things we saw back then was really more and more shoppers going to private label products and natural and wellness. Um, if you turn back the clock at those times, there, there, it was still a relatively young industry for natural and wellness related to private label, even though it was obviously a lot of you know, penetration and more mainstream products. And between 2006 and 2009, we really saw private label share both in units and dollars grow while shoppers, you know, it was a great way to shop and um, stretch their food budget and correlated, hard to say whether chicken or egg, but it was also a time when many new natural organic private label products were launched and the quality was really a great substitute for the branded counterpart. So it really came in a lot of commodity categories, juice, flour, sugars, as, and a variety of others that we really saw. I, I almost say private label kind of just burst onto the scene during that, that phase is a really great economic alternative. And today's shoppers also, as we said, not going to deviate from their diet and lifestyle. Again, not because, you know, to beat the drum again, it's a health crisis. They're going to continue to look for products that are good for their, um, you know, their their body's immune strength. And so, with the extensive options today available and private label for natural wellness, it makes it even easier, you know, to shop that way. And in fact, we see retailers increasingly investing in signature items in their private label, um, which gives great opportunity, you know, to to build loyalty and for customers to discover new innovation at a great price point at their favorite retailers. So. I certainly think we'll see more expansion this time as well. Uh, absolutely, Catherine. Um, private label is going to win out over time. Um, you know, as the impact of unemployment and, uh, you know, we're seeing just an un unheard of number of financially stressed households given the high level of employments, unemployment. Um, but like the last recessionary period, um, you know, there's a clear bifurcation of households. Um, we've got those that are financially stressed and by, you know, I think we're probably talking about 50% of households that are going to have to figure out how to help 
you know, make those, you know, budget dollars go further and private label is, is absolutely part of that equation. Um, and, you know, and then there are others, households that, you know, they're, they're going to chug along, you know, and, and we're seeing that because their unemployment has, you know, they're lucky enough to be in industries that haven't been impacted uh, as directly. Um, you know, what's, what's interesting is, you know, that what we talked about earlier with the, the level of support is we're five months into this pandemic and we really haven't, you know, felt the effects yet. So, um, you know, the data really shows that these, you know, the impact and, and, and what's we expect to have with private label, it's, it's been highly muted over the last five months. Um, and we believe that's directly tied back to government stimulus and, and the, you know, boosting of unemployment checks. Um, while it's a bit counterintuitive, the data actually shows private label weakness and that's some very large retailers. Um, however, you know, if we, if we play this out and, and right now we're seeing Congress kind of stumble in terms of the next labor, you know, wave of support, um, you know, going out to these stressed households, we're going to see private label, you know, win. And, and our prediction is absolutely increased um, unit and dollar share gains, you know, as we go through this recovery period. So um, again, private label is, is going to have a bright outlook here over, you know, the coming year. Can you comment at all, Steve, on why private label hasn't been as robust as you would have imagined, given that we are five months in? Yeah, and and I I think it's um, I think it's a bunch of reasons, but I I think the um, the dollars available to households really haven't declined. Even even a lot of those positions that have gone away, we've had six hundred dollar you know a, a week. Um, you know, increased unemployment checks, which, you know, a lot of that's gone towards food and, and, you know, has probably really helped those households, you know, deal with the, deal with the crisis directly. Um, I think there's been a lot less, um, you know, everybody has had stress manufacturing operations as well, trying to supply stores. And, and there's been a refocusing on, on key items by manufacturers. And I, my belief is that, uh, the major manufacturers probably responded that faster. So, um, you know, we may be dealing with higher out of stocks on some traditional private label items as well. But um, I won't name the retailers, but there's been, it's, it's, you know, a couple of the real big players have actually seen that share decline over this period. Yeah, and I think... Um, yeah, I agree. And I was just going to say too quickly that I think you're right on, Steve, on a lot of those factors. Um, we have seen a little... Uh, more growth in, in the natural organic side of private label, which probably makes sense because it would tend to be a slightly higher price point. And so we've seen a little more trade-off in, in that maybe leaving some of the growth in a lot of the areas versus others, whether it's again supply chain or uh, the, the not yet needing to move to private label based on some of the checks coming in. So it's going to be really interesting to watch it, I think, play out in the upcoming months. Yep. I think people will be incentivized to try new products um, again, Agreed. you know, they're consuming more. Um, I do like one, our colleague, Jonna Parker called June, the new, the new January, because everyone's making resolutions to their like physical and mental health. And so that's a lot of new buyers coming in and, um, people looking for these solutions. So, okay. So we've talked a lot about what people are purchasing. You know, we went through a lot of the vitamins and minerals and the immune boosting products. And then, just frankly, putting those meals on the table every day. But how are we shopping differently um, 
for natural products. We know that, you know, particularly grocery has done very well. Mass has done very well because shoppers want to get in, buy as much as they possibly can, and get out. So what does that look like for natural products? Well, I think the most the, the most glaring thing that jumps out is that e-com is here to stay. I mean, we, we knew over years that shoppers have been increasingly shopping online and using apps, um, but it hasn't been quite as rampant in grocery, although we all kept sort of knowing it was on its way and there's been consistent growth. But the pandemic really accelerated that adoption for shoppers. I mean, that that's just one of the most obvious things that's changed virtually overnight, I think, in the industry. You know, with social distancing guidelines, you know, safety concerns of physically being in stores, more and more retailers offering curbside pickups, you, know, you name it, um, you know, e-commerce and, and sort of the click and collect side of the internet shopping also has really been winning out in many ways. In fact, in April, e-commerce unit sales grew five times the rate of brick and mortar sales year on year as consumers, you know, really quickly shifted their habits. Um, so we don't, in, it, it's become convenient. And so I don't think we'll expect that to change, you know, and from that, I think two key opportunities we see is um, one, uh, coming back a little bit to supply chain and some of the things that Steve has talked about in the bifurcation of the consumer in this time, those that still have the funds are not finding products on the shelves now because it's been making way for some of the more commoditized items. So I think that even more is sending consumers to say, hey, I, I need this toasted sesame oil that, by the way, it, it took me three stores to find uh, you know, last week, but they're turning online and I finally did myself. Um, so I think not only has it been all the safety, that bifurcation is also going to create sort of the endless aisle feeling where shoppers can go to the internet and get the more adventurous products they're looking for to create some new meals. Um, so I think that's another thing that that's going to be key as we go along that that's not, that's not going to change things. The other thing I would you know, quickly reference is that it also with consumers having very personalized health and wellness needs, whether it's, uh, you know, I want to lose the 15 pounds I gained during lockdown or whether it's, uh, you know, I've got a, a pre-existing condition or I'm trying to avoid something, we all have personalized needs. And so the more uh, retailers and brands can really blend that e-commerce or digital experience with an in-store experience, it really is going to provide a lot more opportunity for personalization um, that consumers have gotten used to in other industries and, and bring it into grocery. So it's going to be really interesting to watch how the e-commerce and brick and mortar experience blend as we go along but without a doubt what changed overnight is not going to go back the other way as quickly yeah they, you're absolutely right um you know even even when we get beyond the pandemic and and you know more normalcy in our lives um i i don't believe this shopping behavior uh, is going to change. And it's one important reason, you know, that personalization, but it's wrapped in a package of convenience, right? I mean, the core value proposition doubt. that households are, you know, are, are learning, um, you know, from this whole experience is that, um, you know, this is a great convenience factor that, you know, is, is it's effectively being supported by retailers and online providers because it's 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 not the most efficient way for them to get product to you um you know from a profit motive but but it is incredibly convenient for households and uh, I, I think that's why it's going to stick around so 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 it's a necessary but we have kind of jumped the growth 
by several years now. And the, uh, that experience of households and, and, uh, you know, jumping, you know, and, and, and moving forward in this form is, is only going to continue post pandemic. Um, if I shift now to, to manufacturers, um, you know, and, and I think this is part of that, um, you know, you know, how do manufacturers really build more effective strategies? Because I work with, you know, both Catherine and I work with many, many manufacturers, and some have really embraced the opportunities. And others are really, you know, now the, you know, as e-com has become real, now they're starting to, to jump in and say, how can I really compete in this space? Um, and, and the answer goes back to experiences. I, this ultimately the natural consumer is is um, you know is 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 in search of product information, looking for greater transparency, and looking for help getting that personalization um, that's that's important to them. Um, and our recent shopper journey research has really you know highlighted and uncovered uh, many aspects of that inconsistency and in experience. And much of it, you know, and, and probably the most simple to uh, correct is, is that, you know, ease of gaining access in, in the transparency of product information. Um, you know, we're still not seeing manufacturers and retailers, you know, really making that an easy process during the, the search and, and um, you know, bringing uh, solutions to consumers based upon their needs, but, you know, through deep understanding and, and, and transparency of information. Um, so ultimately, that that really undermines you know the the, the growth opportunities for manufacturer and retailer alike, and uh, you know what we really need is you know is the understanding and, and speaking consumer language, um, but also effectively promoting those important attributes. And we see these as huge areas of opportunity. That uh, by the way, IRI and, and Spins are right in the middle of that space and 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 can really help. Yeah, we know that a lot yeah. of products don't don't put forth a lot of the attributes and the benefits that, that they, that they could be claiming. And so they're not part of that discovery for, for shoppers, right? That's a, that's a huge opportunity. To your point, Joan, I mean, discovery is still really critical to the industry. And I think that's an area CPG manufacturers can really be partnering with retailers also you know, normally retail staff, part of being in a store is that the staff's really well-versed in the assortment and can guide their shoppers to certain products. And that's certainly diminished now with the rise of e-com and social distancing in stores. And so there's really a huge opportunity to bring that transparency that y'all are referencing um, with CPG manufacturers working, you know, that much more closely and partnering with their retailers because it's going to be critical to blend that digital e-commerce experience and brick and mortar to, to still bring the discovery and the ability to surprise and delight in a different environment. Um, and yet also they can leverage the personalization side that digital brings a little better. So I think we're going to see some really interesting new ground being broken, um, you know, as we get over this sort of first hump of the supply chain and coordinating the components to, to be there, at the shelf um, or at the curb, depending on how you receive your groceries. Um, but we'll see manufacturers and retailers really partnering just to bring a whole new level of experience combining those things. And that's going to be really exciting to see, I think, as we go forward. Well, so I want to actually play on that a little bit more because you, you started out the conversation today talking a, l- a little bit about, you know, we're never going to go back to the way things were before. And now, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about search and discovery and CPGs and retailers working together, but 
Can you give us a sense of what is the future going to look like, you know, for natural and wellness shoppers? What's their experience going to be and what are they going to be looking for? It's, it's going to be a, like, like much of the CP industry, CPG industry, it's going to be a really rapidly evolving life cycle. Um, I think one of the things we've been seeing over the last, you know, recent, recent years is it's no longer this sort of idea of natural and organic as a one size fits all. Um, it really has become very personalized as we've been talking a good bit on this conversation. So I think we're going to see that continue to accelerate, you know, some consumers or shoppers are following a ketogenic lifestyle. Again, some are looking for um, alternative sugars because of a different lifestyle choice. Or you know, there's vegan versus uh, uh, those that are following a, a paleo that looks really different. And so it, there's not a one-size-fits-all. And so, again, this, this whole dynamic and shift between brick-and-mortar and e-commerce and a digital experience is just going to really dramatically number one, change things, but number two, open up huge opportunity for those that can be early movers on both the brand and the retail side. You know, so, so I really encourage brands um, as well as retailers to, to, to think of all these new tools. Don't think of the future like the past. There's a whole set of new tools in the toolbox and think about how to engage with these natural wellness shoppers and meet them where they want you to meet them. Um, also, one thing we're quickly seeing and is that those who are a little newer into thinking about self-care um, or certain lifestyle choices need a lot of education and they need a lot of demystification. Um, you know, we were speaking with someone just a few days ago about this thing called adaptogens, which like, what in the world is that? Well, it's just things that help stress, you know, so that's just an easy way to demystify. And so I think brands and retailers um, both can really focus on how to make it easier for shoppers and to, to find exactly what they personally are looking for, for their own self-care and their own health and wellness choices. Um, so I think really understanding the consumer and the shopper engagement with natural food, designing strategies for the core, but also, again, making it easier for some of these folks who want to come in um, to, to make it easier for them to get in and stay in and get excited about you know, the, the benefits. You're focusing on value strategies. Um, that particularly can help in this economic downturn for the less engaged shopper or those that, you know, are under economic pressure, but also still finding the discovery for those, again, that bifurcated shopper, the one that really is pushing the envelope and trying to find new interesting meals after all these months at home, help them find some interesting new things, you know, look at, look at that um, new innovation of pushing the envelope. So, and certainly the, what we've been calling the five P's, not just the four P's, you know, it's certainly the, price product, price promotion, product placement, but then people think about your staff in the store or think about the digital experience. Um, how do people play into this? Because that's really where so much of the education and awareness can happen. So, you know, connect your people with the buyers, the shoppers, and figure out really how to keep them long-term in your franchise. Yeah. Sage advice, Catherine. Um, you know, one of the one of the opportunities with all of this revenue growth that we've seen, um, you know, and in, in increased you know volumes that the manufacturers have been enjoying, is that there's been an unprecedented um, you know new household trial and, and growth among all brands, right? So whether it's natural products or or conventional brands, 
um, you know, there, there are new households that have entered um, these franchises and, you know, that presents an opportunity. Um, you know, one of, one of the, the ironies here is that um, uh, advertising and, and uh, digital promotion, ha- you know, has greatly declined during the pandemic. And a lot of the rationale is that, um, you know, I can barely keep up with the supply requirements, so why should I be advertising at this time? Um, a good reason to be doing so would be these new households that have entered, you know, your franchise. Um, and understanding, you know, we're in a, a unique position now where we can really understand unique household uh, consumption patterns, right? We, we actually know from frequent shopper data who is buying, you know, which households are buying uh, products and, and we can see repeat repurchase rates. Um, but, but by understanding those behaviors, um, we can understand, you know, the, the, the whys and we can build very direct conversion strategies to, to, you know, engage and, and influence behaviors going forward. So if manufacturers pursue that path and, 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 and do that, there is um, a great opportunity to leverage you know, your understanding of lifestyle and ingredient-based product attributes and the benefits to the consumer to, to, to really you know, navigate all of these dynamics and, and, and drive and, and really um, you know, leverage these new households to drive your business forward. Um, I, you know, the opportunity decays rather quickly. Um, so it's really time to, to, you know, take a hard look at this and figure out how to, you know, how to put this information together to, to really drive your business. Um, because it's not, you know, everybody's growing at an advanced rate at this point, but, uh, for you to gain share in this, in this cycle, you've got to take some special actions and, and especially to maintain that over time. Cool. And Catherine, okay. any any last thoughts on that? Just simply, I think Steve hit the nail on the head. Stay customer centric. You know, the customer is really changing, and you know, meet your customers where they are, understand their mindset, and and really take some of these take some of the traditional you know approaches, but really also use these new tools in the toolbox to meet your customer where they where they need you to be. I think those that that the brands and retailers that recognize where the consumer is trying to get is a different place than they may have been, you know, pre-pandemic. Those those are the ones that are going to win in the in the sense of increased loyalty and sales long term, and really creating that meaningful connection. Awesome. So I want to just close with a, a recap of some of the things that I've heard you say, um, and that is, of course, natural is growing. And it's going to be even more vital during this recessionary period because it was, you know, um, instigated by a health crisis. But there are so many new buyers and there's so many new opportunities to engage with them and so many more products um, to attract them with than the last recession. So start talking to those consumers now, connect with them, build relationships and loyalty um, of course, track the trends consumers are interested in, and then be strategic about how you're you're using keywords or search, making it easy. Um, I think, Catherine, I really loved your word of demystify. You know, stop some of the sciency talk and just talk the way people do, and use keywords that people are going to use when they are searching for products and attributes. Um, expect that ecom is going to continue to grow in importance. 
Um, but don't forget that in-store experience because that's really what has helped build the natural channel. Um, it's definitely going to mean more investment, um, but the dividends are there. If maybe you add that fifth P of people, um, really invest in your people um, because it's you're investing in your people to attract you know, the most valuable people out there, your shoppers. Um, so with that, I want to thank you both and hope that we can come back again soon and talk about um, some more specifics of this really robust market. Thank you. Always a pleasure, Steve and Joan. Yeah, thank you. Thank you both and stay safe. Thank you for listening. Please become a subscriber and let us know what you want to learn more about. We'll serve it up in a future IRI Growth Insights episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to review IRI Growth Insights. Also, visit us on the web at iriworldwide.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.